Hi, and welcome to Book Circle Online. Today I'm joined in studio by Thelma Adams. We'll be talking about her latest book, The Last Woman Standing. We'll also hear about some of her celebrity interviews and her next upcoming book and more. Don't go away. (laughs) This is Book Circle Online, featuring in-depth discussion, insight, news, and commentary on all the world's leading book titles and their authors. And now, Book Circle Online. Now, I wish there were a sound effect for reading a book, because that's what I feel like needs to come after the music. Like I mean, the, Yeah, the, like... That would be good. <laughs> we'll start our own. So thank you, Thelma, for joining me in studio today. Where it's can pleasure. everyone find you on social media? At Thelma Adams, T-H-E-L-M-A-D-A-M-S, and I have a Facebook author page. Great. And I am your host, Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zoe Said What. That Zoe Said What. And I am looking forward to diving right into The Last Woman Standing Let's because dive. it was an excellent read. So, <laughs> so fascinating. And I told you before we started, I didn't want to do any research of right. my own before reading because I didn't want it to color my perception. But you have a degree in history from Berkeley, yes. so where did you start? <laughs> well, actually, my degree is in English history, so I know how to research, but um, I started, I tumbled across some information about Wyatt Earp, that he's buried in a Jewish cemetery in Colma, California, and it was kind of a Google accident, like I was looking at it, and... I didn't know where that came from. Why was he buried in a Jewish cemetery? Wyatt Earp, huh? And then I found out he had been married to a Jewish woman. And then I was like, who was she? And then I started looking. There's tons. There's giant bookshelves full of Wyatt Earp books and books about him as a hero, books about him as a villain. Everybody has their own their own perspective. And I found bits and pieces about Josephine Sarah Marcus within that. And she also did a memoir. So I thought, great, the memoir is going to tell me everything. But in fact, unlike things like Catherine Harrison's The Kiss or Running With Scissors, these are not memoirs where she was laying it all out. So I wanted to do the book where I was like, see, it's almost like writing a memoir in her voice. And it's interesting because she took particular care, not just with Wyatt's image, but with hers, to edit out what she did and didn't want. Right. And I think, well, also, the first editors of her memoir were her nieces. And, I mean, I don't know, would I tell my nieces what I was like at 19 when I was going to Berkeley? No. You know, like, so there's a lot of people who kind of say, oh, there were a lot of, you know, relatives later who said, oh, she's not like this or she's not like that. They met her when she was a fetchy middle-aged lady or an old lady. They didn't know that that beauty that came, that she was really known as the most beautiful woman in Tombstone. That's documented. Which is, I feel like, a very interesting place even to start because a lot of times there's this stereotype that, oh, you might be beautiful, but you have no brains. And she clearly, although she was a 17-year-old flighty sort of teenager who was running after a man, she also kept herself supported and she kept herself there for a long time. Right. Well, she's, she's, she has kind of gut smarts. Mm -hmm. I think she came from a family where her mother was you know, probably like a Torah scholar, but wasn't allowed to do that. I, I got the, get this feeling that her mother was very smart. And so she's intelligent, but she's not bookish. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting, as I did the research, someone like Doc Holliday, who we have, you know, I'm your Huckleberry and Val Kilmer and Tombstone, and we have mm-hmm. these ideas. 
He was a dentist. He came from um, a good family in Georgia and was very well educated. So it's interesting to like think about, you know, you, the Wild West isn't just horses and men. And that the Wild West isn't just West like Montana. It's Arizona, which I found also fascinating yeah. because I don't think of Arizona as cowboy land. I just don't. Oh, it co- and it totally was. And also, I didn't really push that this in this book, but they Tombstone, Arizona was right near the Mexican border. So when the cowboys were rustling, they were going into Mexico and stealing cattle from Mexico. And there was a lot of back and forth. And there were um, Mexicans in Tombstone. And there was a lot of mixing. So was it surprisingly diverse then for the time? You know what? It was surprisingly diverse. Obviously, you had Chinese people who were building the railroads, first of all. You had Jews, as she was, in Tombstone because you had the dry goods person was Jewish. The bankers were Jewish. There were miners that were Jewish. And the big split was Northerners and Southerners. So you had people, a lot of Southerners, this is twenty less than 20 years after the Civil War, had come to Tombstone to get away from that North-South thing. And Wyatt Earp and his brothers, total Northerners, law and order. So you had this kind of split in Tombstone that went back two decades. And when you had to sell this book, because what was fantastic as well, I think, for you is that this was sold on a proposal. Yeah, it wasn't, hey, it was. I wrote it. So congratulations, Thank because that much. doesn't happen every day. <laughs> no. With a novel, it is very, very, very unusual. I had a great idea and a fantastic agent, Victoria Sanders, and she was like, this is a great idea. Get me three smoking chapters and a proposal and I can sell it. Um but I will say that I sold it from nine chapters and I sold it to Lake Union Publishing and I was very excited. And then I looked at the contract and this was the middle of June and the contract said, and you are turning it in September 1. This was last summer. So I wrote 200 pages in 10 weeks. <laughs> so it was like chop, chop once you I got was, that contract. Yeah, once I got that contract and it was kind of crazy. It was a total marathon, but I look back and I just was like sitting on the couch and every day I was in the book. And I have to say, that's my favorite thing in life. Not, you know, family, friends, all of those other things. But in terms of work, to be in the middle of a book where you know where it's going Mm -hmm. and just every day to disappear into that world. And it seems like it would be a difficult concept to sell. I'm sure your nine chapters were fantastic, but to say, (laughs) hey, here's the story of Wyatt Earp's wife, who no one really talks about, but I want to write about her. How did that happen? How did your agent even sell it? Okay, you know, funnily enough, it was a, a perfect time. It was the time of the Paris wife. You had books like that, Memoirs of a Geisha, The Paris Wife, Z, The Story of Zelda Fitzgerald, and they were selling. It's just a moment where historical fiction is very strong, and these stories of, um, like Frank Lloyd, you know, Frank Lloyd Wright's wife, these stories of these women who were attached to famous men, it's just like a moment. And I, you know, I started working on it in 2007. And no, people, people were like, would look at me and go, you know, they just didn't see the marketability of it. Mm -hmm. But Victoria did. And I'm thrilled. And um, Danielle Marshall from Lake Union, Mm -hmm. she was like, I'm looking for a female driven Western. I was like, 
know. <laughs> who looks for a female-driven Western? I know. Yeah. Who does? But um, there are actually a lot mm-hmm. of... of uh, it's really kind of a very good time to write mainstream book club fiction. And I felt like um, I could be super smart mm-hmm. with it. Which must also be important. I mean, you also have a um, a degree from Columbia, so right. using your smarts and using your background must right. have also it's really super. Appealed. It's super empowering, and it's funny because when I think about it, I've written a lot of personal essays. I've written them for O, and I've written them for New York Times and other places. And I realized in some ways I learned how to do a first person voice from those. So it really brings in. I mean. I've seen a million Westerns as a Mm -hmm. film critic. I didn't let myself watch Tombstone again before I did this. I didn't watch Deadwood. I was like, I don't want that in my head. But I was really frustrated in watching Westerns. I couldn't see beyond the fact that the women characters, except like in, you know, the recent True Grit, there's Mm -hmm. there's exceptions. There's Barbara Stanwyck um, Westerns. But in the majority, women are just like dance hall girls. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, where did they come? from what you know even doc holiday's um partner not Mm -hmm. wife partner who was a prostitute um big nose kate because she was nosy not because she had a big nose oh that was actually that was not clear in the book that distinction interesting i was like oh that's a really interesting physical detail (laughs) no she yeah she was nosy and um she was from pest she was Hungarian, mm-hmm. and they had come, her family had come to the Midwest, her parents died, she ran away from relatives, and was, she and Doc, like many people in Tombstone, drank too much. Mm-hmm. And so people misbehaved, even the gunfight at OK Corral was inspired by Ike Clanton's kind of, he drank all night, he was really angry, he didn't sleep, he drank in the morning, he instigated this whole fight mm-hmm. and then like chickened out <laughs> <laughs> i love the detail too in the book where they all suddenly run back through the studio like <laughs> not it but when you started you actually said you thought that the book would be in the voice of virgil's wife Allie. is that right and well, then I, it evolved a little yeah that's completely true i thought of it kind of you know this columbia mfa kind of thing oh i'm gonna do it in a variety of women's voices mm-hmm. And oddly enough, Virgil Earp, who is the duller, <laughs> the duller but you know strong, strong you know Wyatt's brother, um, his wife was named Allie, and she was just like a tough chicken. She was a little tough chicken, and her voice, her prairie tough, orphaned voice, really spoke to me, and I started the book in her voice and did it in ITAL and her view of Josephine. And all of those pieces are not in the book because it was, it just didn't, it it wasn't until I really just saw it entirely from Josephine's point of view mm-hmm. that it worked. And Josephine makes a comment too, that she thinks that Allie, she and Allie would get along if they were sort of in the pre- the book present together. Right, 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 and, right. And so do you think that's just a passage of time? What do you think would have drawn them together so much? Well, you know, I think that in the end she feels that. When she comes to Tombstone, they wouldn't have gotten along. Allie 
loves her husband Virgil and then she has a certain relationship with him and then when all the brothers converge in Tombstone and it's Virgil and Wyatt and Warren and Morgan and um, I want to say James is the other one um, she no longer has that one-on-one relationship with her husband and Wyatt never liked Allie he never thought she was good enough for Virgil and so she was kind of bitter about it but I think as time went on and Josephine was no longer beautiful mm-hmm. and no longer the, what she had been, that they would have understood each other because they were both pretty straight shooters. Well, Allie in the book, at least, I don't know, correct me if this is not historically accurate, then she was really good friends as well with Wyatt's common-law yeah, wife and felt a- like Josephine was sort of horning in on her friend's territory. Completely true. Yeah. It was completely true that Wyatt had come... Wyatt had come to Tombstone with Maddie Blaylock. And you can't, it's hard to kind of figure out, like, what their... That's the whole thing, is making trying to figure out what the relationships mm-hmm. were, because people weren't writing about them. If you see Tombstone, which I just watched recently, all the girls arrive, including Allie. They arrive, they're blonde, they're mm-hmm. cute, they're wearing pretty dresses, which is not really what they were like. But Maddie had probably been a prostitute Mm -hmm. and had kind of attached herself to Wyatt Mm -hmm. and then when they moved to Tombstone she was with the group and she and Allie were very close they were like sisters Mm -hmm. and so of course Allie is not going to like Wyatt and Wyatt fell in love like what can you do and there's a in Tombstone it was interesting she comes into Tombstone drinking laudanum and Maddie, in the end, was an addict, and she basically committed suicide. She went back to hooking, and she mm-hmm. she was an addict. But I'm not sure she was an addict when they came to Tombstone. I'm not sure her heart wasn't just broken. Because of her relationship with Wyatt. Yeah. And so much of it, right, is speculation where you're trying to fill in the gaps. and Exactly. And we look at the novel and go, well, this is it. This is the truth. But you had to follow right, the emotional truth more because there were a lot of gaps, well, there's, right? Yeah, there's a lot of gaps and you kind of know there are things that you have to get right. Like mm-hmm. you have to get right. There's You have to know, like, gunfight at OK Corral. It happened at this day. What was the weather? It happened at what time? Who was there? Who? There's a bunch of people who were standing at all these different places saying what they saw. And even at that moment in the newspaper the next day, it was confusing. There were a lot of different perspectives. So there are certain things, like, you have to figure out, well, when did Josephine come? I figured out that she came in October of 1880. Of October of 1880, some people said she came earlier and had been a prostitute. And there are people who said, well, you know, people who, I looked on Wikipedia and <laughs> I did a lot of research and I did not find evidence of that. But it, it you know, it could be there, but I didn't, I didn't see that. But I do know that with all these women there was the fear that they would have to cross the line and become prostitutes. And I think that that was Josephine's big fear, that she would end up in that position. And I like to show that the first night she was there, um, she bumps into a prostitute. and She bumps into two, actually, the first day she's there. And there's old man Clanton. And you see, like, that it's not, it's not glamorized. Mm-hmm. 
And do you think part of it is that she brought it on herself? I mean, we've got a 17-year-old who has a perfectly good home who says, like, bye, Mom, bye, Dad, you know, see ya. I'm, I'm headed to the Wild West. Okay. Um, well, let's think about that for a second. I'm just trying to, you know, young, beautiful girls have a power that they don't exactly know that they have because they've always been beautiful and they've always been attractive to people. And I think if she had stayed in her Jewish family, which is a middle-class Jewish family, her dad was a baker, um, her mother probably had to take in laundry, they were living a bit on the kindness of her um, half-sister who had married well, they would have married her off Mm -hmm. to someone who would have benefited the entire family. So I'm kind of like... You know, as as Josie says, at one point, either I'm bartered by my family to someone wealthy within the Jewish community, or I go out and I barter myself to mm-hmm. my own advantage. Right. I so six of one, half a dozen. Yeah, the other, a yeah. Bit. And some people would say, okay, yeah. I mean, in a way, that's a modern view of it, mm-hmm. but it's a choice. In the same way that Big Nose Kate could have stayed in the Midwest among her family on some farm and just was like, I gotta get out of here. So do you think Josie was ahead of her time in that sense? No, I, you know what I would say? I don't think she was ahead of her time. I think we don't understand, necessarily understand people in the past, their capacity for different options. So there were always people who took risks, who were adventurers, who took risks and fell. Mm -hmm. So I don't think, you know, it wasn't like she was a feminist before her time. She was strong-willed and wanted to be happy. And, you know, her her sisters may not have felt that way. Her brother may not have felt that way. But there are always people who were like that. So how would you differentiate then between someone who's a feminist and someone who wants to be in control of her own happiness? good question i don't how would i differentiate that i think that that's one tenet of feminism is that you want to be in control of your own happiness but if there's a man who wants to be in control of his own happiness he's not a feminist you know he's just a person you know i you know but a man but, can be a feminist if yes. he wants a woman in control right. of her own. i feel like now yeah. it's a circle okay. it's a circle okay i will i'll say this i'm a feminist And because I'm a feminist, I look back and I think, what? I look at all those Westerns where the women are like dance hall girls. They're behind the bar. They're upstairs hanging off the, you know, off the balconies. And I'm like, each one of those people has their own life experience. And as a feminist, I want to explore that life experience. Mm -hmm. So I can say from my own point of view that I infuse it with a feminist viewpoint, even to Allie, even to understanding her perspective and understanding where she came from. She was an orphan. Her father had run off to fight the Civil War. Her mother was left with a bunch of kids. Her mother died. She was Mm -hmm. like all these people. I just feel like I kind of equalize so that everybody, and maybe that's my view of history as well, is that history marks the gun battles. We know the gunfight at OK Corral. We know Wyatt Earp. But what are all these other people doing? And there were a lot of interesting women in Tombstone at that time. And it's funny to think about. So the book was written by a feminist, but not necessarily about a feminist. Right. Yeah, I, yeah, I would. 
not say, yeah, because she wasn't really like, you know. She was after her own destiny. She was just really, she wanted to live. Mm -hmm. And I think that desire for pleasure, Mm -hmm. for enjoyment, for not following in lockstep with ritual Mm -hmm. and what your parents did, that has, that exists throughout history. And speaking of ritual, there is what I think is a wonderful scene, probably one of my favorites in the book, when she's leaving to go to Tombstone and her mother rips the collar on her favorite right. dress and wants to cover the mirrors, which is sitting Shiva, which is, for anyone who doesn't know, it's what Jewish families do when someone dies to mourn their loss. Right. And so her mother is mourning her. Thing. her. That's a major thing. It's a major rejection. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you're still living and your mother does that and says you're dead to me, it's like, you know, if your parents say you're dead to them. And I know, um, I don't know for certain that that's what her mother did, but I will say in my own family, there were sons who went off with Gentile women Mm -hmm. and the mother sat Shiva. Wow. So I know that that exists, mm-hmm. and it just seems heartbreaking to me. Mm-hmm. Um, just you know, I just can't imagine that tension between mother and daughter. And I think also it's the fact that it's the second time that Josie has run off. The first time she runs off to join a dance troupe and comes back and is like, sorry, Mom, sorry, Dad, I'm back again. I know, she gets sent back. But this somehow must seem more permanent, both to her and to her family. Yeah, well, and also it's the second time, and, you know, it's that they can't control her. It's that that the mother can't control her own daughter, and they're just cut from different cloth. And that sense of control and needing control, because later in the book, we get the story about her mom, and that she was pregnant out of wedlock, and... Right, that's a huge, that's a huge secret. (laughs) Well, I feel like at this point, I feel like at this point, we're chatting about the book. (laughs) It's completely fine. Um, That's, it's funny that there's a story, she had a half-sister, her mother had been, quote, had been married in... New York and they moved they went through the Panama Canal and went to they she grew up in San Francisco and she had this older sister who was a half sister who she loved and they went to the theater together and all these things and I you know that story of her mother's own experience just came to me in the way you know like a a thunderbolt like Mm -hmm. that is not something that I found on (laughs) ancestry.com you know it's just like why would the mother be Mm -hmm. so so angry about what Josie's doing well because she had made the her own foolish mistake in the past so was that the parallel that you saw there that they were both making mistakes that could have been prevented or is it that Josie was more of her ticket to happiness if Josie had married well but she was leaving but there's you know what yeah there's all of those things you know Zoe there's all of those things is that the mother is does not want to these women worked so hard they had kids they didn't have money they did all the the laundry all of these things so her beautiful daughter would have been a ticket to more money within the family a better connection for the family better connections for the other remaining um, brother and sister who were in the house um, and in fact, the younger sister ultimately marries a Gentile, but a wealthy San Oakland, um, in, in fact, 
And so that was a positive thing for the family. So, so yeah, the, the mother, you know, when you have a child, and it's interesting going through this, I, you know, I have now a daughter who's 17. So um, Josie's the, age when she ran yeah. off. <laughs> and I can see how a mother has a longer view of things and a, and a greater sense of what the dangers are. And yet you, that yet your daughter is her own separate person. And from that long-sightedness, I mean, the book starts looking back. Right. So the, we've got mm-hmm. that sense of distance. What made you decide to start with Josie as an older woman? Um, she actually, in her memoir, which is um, goes back and forth in time, there's a moment where she does go back. That's actually true, that okay. she goes back in 1937 or 1934, and she goes back to Tombstone for the first time. And she's very detail-oriented, and she talks about like what she sees and I thought that was very cinematic, very novelistic, that, that then you would know, you would have that long view, and you would also, there's like this mournful thing that she comes in, and she's so beautiful, and I think it's so interesting, I've known a number of hugely beautiful women, and how hard it is for them to age, mm-hmm. and to lose that power, and how important it is at some point for them to um, expand their character. Mm-hmm. As she does with Wyatt, I think by finding Wyatt, they have this real connection. Mm-hmm. They know each other, who they are really, and that allows her to expand her character. She's no longer just an object. And they also were together for so many years. I mean, yeah. nowadays, if your 17-year-old daughter said, Mom, I found this 34-year-old guy, <laughs> I, I, I think yeah. you'd be, like, locking her up, right? And well, yeah, with the key. yeah. Um, <laughs> yes. <laughs> In short, yes. Um, and I don't, you know... They, you know, they were together. The thing is, to write a pe- to write a book about people who really where it really is real love Mm -hmm. and to try to kind of go, well, what is it about real love? What makes, as someone who has been married for 30 years this Thanksgiving, what, what is it that brings people together and where do they bond that makes them go the distance? And one of the things in their relationship, and I would say that I learned about through my own marriage is that why it's someone, when things are dangerous, he gets very calm Mm -hmm. And he takes charge. And that is a huge comfort. At the same time, she is kind of a spitfire and very engaging and has this kind of big energy that he also needs and feeds off of. So together, they they are a couple that works. They balance each they other They balance nicely. each other out, yeah. And I never got the impression that he was fathering her, that they did feel more like equals. And maybe it's because also of how it's written. I never, I had to remind myself that she was 17. I right, and she's nineteen. This when she comes. Oh, this time, the time she's yeah, nineteen. By the time here, she's nineteen. She turns twenty. Yeah, and I kind of had to kind of figure out like how old is she really? And I look because she's yeah. she was born in eighteen sixty. But you kind of have to um, bend it a little bit to make the story work. But to remember that she's not say twenty seven, twenty eight, which no, is no, no. how I kept imagining her. Right. And if you see if you see the movie Tombstone, it, the character was played by Dana Delaney, who was Irish American, was already in her thirties. No, this is she's a young woman. Mm-hmm. But um, I just I think that they were that Wyatt really did not think he could fall in love again. 
which is one of the reasons he was with Maddie. He had been in love when he was young and his wife had died in childbirth or typhus. There was like a confusion and he was brokenhearted. And this and it took him a decade to get over that and be ready again to fall in love. But he didn't really think he could. So when Wyatt was eventually buried in mm-hmm. the Jewish cemetery, right. it's interesting that the book notes that he is cremated, which is not typically something that's allowed in the Jewish faith, or especially in a Jewish cemetery when he's not Jewish. Right. So is that also based on history? How did she get the cremains in there? I, you know what? Gosh, that's a detail. I just know that he's buried there. I, you know, <laughs> I, you know, I can't, I don't even know that. That, okay. that detail. I'm I was fascinated say, yeah, by that. No. It's like, how did he get in there? Like, she just I mean, snuck him in. Yeah, she snuck him in. I, you know, he had a funeral in Los Angeles, and the pallbearers were like Tom Mix, these big Western Hollywood stars. But I know that he was buried, but I don't really know. And she didn't go to that event. Because, but she took his remains. Yeah, later. she didn't go to the big <laughs> funeral, and I think she couldn't handle it. After 42 years? 46? 46, 47. It's it's a lot of years. That is a lot of years, a lot of time. They Mm -hmm. were in San Diego. They were in Los Angeles. They were in Alaska. Alaska. (laughs) There was a big scandal in San Francisco. And they lived at one point together in her parents' house, which I can't wait to write that story. <laughs> I'm like, what was that like? Yes, we definitely need an update <laughs> because there are so many other things about their life that, right. that the book ends and it's like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> Where, where's the rest of my story? I know. And I have to ask him put you on the spot. Then I also <gasps> noticed, I know. Besides dun, the dun, cremains. Dun, okay, the cremains. Right. I noticed there was one reference to Jesus in the book and I'm assuming that was on purpose. Um, it just stood out to me since okay. she's Jewish that that then they mentioned Jesus. About what what meant? Okay, what, okay it's what at the mentioned? end of the book. Yeah, it's at the end of the it. book. I will. I say, made a note. Okay, good. Because I will. While you're looking for the note, I will say that there's a moment where she's supposed to go to a funeral with Johnny Behan, and it's a big town funeral, and it's okay. at a church, and she, she won't go in. Yeah. So I thought she must be very tied to her faith. So it's at the end. It's when Josie and Wyatt reunite. She says, she specifically is the one who says, Jesus, you feel good. And I thought that was just an interesting. (laughs) Gosh. (laughs) That interesting word choice there. Well, you know, I would say just a spitball in here. I would say that by then she spent a lot of time in Tombstone and she's just like, you know, as anybody would say, Jesus, you feel good. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, by that point, she has assimilated at least to that to that point, <laughs> to that level, to that level. Now, I imagine you also must have books worth of research that you did that couldn't fit in here, especially considering you had your contract in the summer and had to turn this. Yeah, in. that was. But well, I had I had read all the research. Um, <laughs> yeah, that I had a lot more. Um, there, there's just so many other stories. It's interesting. There was an opera house that was built while she was there in Tombstone with all sorts of entertainment. And I had this idea of them going, you know, to the, to these big to this big show. And then I thought, well, no one really saw them together. So I wasn't sure that I could I could mm-hmm. do that. Um, and then, you know, obviously I have all the research of Allie's life, of Maddie's life, of what happened before, and then, of course, what's going to happen next. Mm-hmm. 
And you've got this fascinating character, Madame Mustache, who runs the brothel in town. <laughs> now, was the... Eleanor Dumont is her real name. So she existed. I was going out. She, she, yeah, she's a legitimate she, piece of yeah, history. Yeah, although this is the funny thing, and this is what I love about writing. Like, what I love about writing is that Josie's mother has this back, this embarrassing backstory that just kind of comes out in 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 the middle of nowhere when I'm writing it. I'm like, oh. But Madame Mustache just started speaking. And when she started speaking, she just had her own voice. And she was like the it's like the spider and the fly when she she and Josie are in the same room and she's and I don't, you know, where that voice came from, but she's so playful and wicked at the same time. And she has obviously that little mustache. Mm-hmm. And she she did exist. With the mustache that wasn't yeah. made mm-hmm. for made for television, so to no, speak. No, 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 no. She was very t- small and she had this mustache. And one thing, you know, I have always liked Victorian furnishings. Mm-hmm. So I you know, odd things that one likes. And it, this is in the eighteen eighties, and so what fascinated me was that here you are, you're beyond the train. You're far away from Tucson. Everything has to get shipped in. And yet these places like the Grand Hotel had fantastic furniture, fantastic Mm -hmm. furnishings, fantastic bar. And it kind of always surprised me that they were that they were surrounded by this kind of odd you know some people were living in tents but that that these these big hotels and bars were fancy these bits of luxuries are in the middle of nowhere how do you get roses you know how do you get flowers to tombstone and what a luxury that is without them dying without them dying you know without fedex it's like one (laughs) of those odd things and i just found you know i found that fascinating and your next book is also a bit of historical fiction, Kosher Nostra. Nostra or Nostra, am I no, saying Nostra. it? Right? That's fine. Nostra. Kosher Nostra. It's kind of like a joke, a Yiddish joke on um, the Cosa Nostra, the mafia. Uh-huh. There was a Jew, there have, there in every town there is a Jewish mafia, Bugsy Siegel in Hollywood, but also there was a thing called Murder Incorporated in New York, in Brooklyn, and they were like the hitmen. They evolved into the hitmen for the kosher, for the Cosa Nostra, mm-hmm. and um, I have a great uncle, my great uncle Abe, Abraham Little Yiddle Lorber, <laughs> and he was five foot two, which is why they called him Little, Little Yiddle. And <laughs> Little uh, Yiddle. I, you know, I never met him. Mm-hmm. I think he was alive when I was born, but I never met him. And he was kind of like this Damon Runyon character, and there, there were very few stories. I come from a Jewish family where you don't talk about that. He was kind of a Shonda, you know. Which is an embarrassment. Which is an embarrassment. Um, He was my grandmother's brother. My grandmother died before I was born. And this is really, her name was Thelma. And this is really my imaginings of what her life was growing up. as, And that he was her older brother. And he was her favorite older brother and her protector. And then... Things start to unravel as he gets more involved in the mob. And I understand when you were, I think it was 35, you had a very rough year and you lost a lot of family members. Yeah. Um, you know, your mother, your father, your uncle. Well, not my mother, but my grandmother. Oh, your grandmother, okay. excuse me. <laughs> She's still here. Sorry, Mom. It's okay. 
she's yeah. 80. She's still God here. <laughs> I just spent the weekend with her. She's in fantastic. Oh, good, good. <laughs> but yeah, terrible I thing to mess up with. Yeah. So, <laughs> no, it's do no you problem. think if if more of your family, I guess, that this revolved around had not passed away, would you have been more gun shy? I say about bringing this aspect of your family to light. <sighs> um, you know, I, I, I toy with that. I just think it's so fascinating. And now with the internet and researching, you can go so far and find out so much, like all the Brooklyn newspapers are online mm-hmm. and there's so much more information. I think, you know, we've all done pretty well over the years. We're talking about a period 1902 to 1935. So I think... If people are still ashamed of it, get over it, guys. So be it, you know. And so when you told your kids this is what you wanted to start writing, were they like, whoa, cool, we're related to the mafia? Yeah, they are. Yes. I would say that's, you know, I mean, it's such a funny story. A.B., little little Lorber, and that the first... The first known crime that he did was he, he went, he was, his own mother put him in an orphanage. Wow. So that was like, he and his brother were carted off and, and learned how to be tough. And then they came back. He was on 14th Street when he was 19. There were all these newsstands. And if you know anything about crime, newsstands and bookmaking go together. Oh, no, I did not. Yeah. <laughs> now, Clearly no. my criminal knowledge is limited. <laughs> Mine is expanding. Just I'm so sorry. you know, watch your purse. <laughs> but on that on that same note, someone, some other kid, some other tough kid on the block, and I guess it was 1915, said, that's the toughest kid on 14th Street? <laughs> and uh, Uncle Aby said, you're damn right. And he uh, stabbed him. So, you know. <laughs> And I don't think the victim lived. Now, I'm at the point now where I'm trying to get the criminal records mm-hmm. to see what happened. And I feel like Little Yiddle is such a fun tongue twister. I kind of want I that to be every other sentence in your book. <laughs> Just start with Little right. Yiddle. Exactly. And I, what I, really it's about, again, like Josephine, it's about the little sister and being, for me, it's about being a woman in a time where... You have the same desires as you and I do, Zoe, where you want to have fun and you want to dance and you want to, okay, excuse me, have sex. You want to have a life. You don't want to marry someone young and then be at home and taking care of the kids and stuck there. And men had options. And women, they were few and far between. And I'm very curious about how someone who's vibrant and likes to dance and likes to drink, how they navigate other times. And your books are about sort of celebrities in their own right. I mean, Wyatt Earp and... Right. And I mean, right. Mm-hmm. So I was just going to say, and right before we wrap up, I know you have met and interviewed a lot of celebrities. Right. What is your favorite celebrity Hollywood story? Oh, the one that I've been telling lately that I just love is Joaquin Phoenix. Uh-huh. Um, I, and I interviewed him with his director, James Gray, for a movie, The Immigrants, which is fantastic. And actually kind of goes back to my Kosher Nostra and to this book, because I love things about, you know, the immigrants coming to New York and what it was really like. And uh, I interviewed James Gray and Joaquin Phoenix. And Joaquin Phoenix was like, so funny. I was like, oh, I loved your performance. And he was like, oh, well, then I don't have much respect for your opinion. He was just like, (laughs) he just was baiting me to Mm -hmm. let him go out and smoke a cigarette and get out of the room. But I had had 
you know, I had had toddlers, so I know how to treat a toddler. So when they get, when they do something like that, you just smile and back off mm-hmm. and then you come back. And then, mm-hmm. and the whole interview, he was very smart. He was very funny. He and James Gray are like, they're like the, you know, the Marty and Leo kind of, of this independent film. And, uh, I, you know, when you see someone who you love as an actor, and there's a chip missing, but you still you still like love them, and you go well. Part of their chip missing sitting at this table is what makes them so brilliant on screen. Well, that is definitely a fun story, and I can't wait to speak with you when your next book comes oh, out. Lovely. So, before we wrap up, where can everyone find you again on social media? They can find me at, at Thelm Adams T H E L M A D A M S, and I have an author profile on Facebook. So, just come over and see what's the latest. Great, and I'm Zoe Hewitt. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Zoe Said What. That Zoe Said What. You can also find me on YouTube at Zoe Hewitt Hosting, where I do a weekly movie analysis show. And you can also find me right here at AfterBuzz TV, our sister network. I'll be back at 6 p.m. interviewing Gary Meyer, and I'll be back at 10 p.m. for American Gothic. Thank you so much for joining us on Book Circle Online. We'll see you next time. From managing editor Jason Squamata, executive producers Maria Menunos, Phil Svitek, and Kevin Undergaro. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Book Circle Online. For more discussion, go to bookcircleonline.com. And if you have comments, questions, or book title suggestions, write us at info at bookcircleonline.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this is Book Circle Online. BCO, join the circle.